Welcome back to the Growth Equation Academy. This week, we're going to go on a deep dive on priming and routines. If you've been listening to this point, we've overviewed the growth equation, stress plus rest equals growth, gone deep on each side. Now we're going to turn that into how to how to make it applicable to your everyday life and setting yourself up to perform. So the basics of routines, let's start at a high level and then work our way down. At a high level, routines are very good. Just about everyone can benefit from having a routine or multiple routines in their life. That said, there is no single best routine for everyone. There's a lot of variability. What works for some people might not work for others. So the first overarching principle of routines is that yes, routines work. No, there is not a single best routine. Oftentimes on self-improvement and productivity podcasts, folks try to sell you on waking up super early in the morning, drinking a special tea, doing a certain kind of workout, doing it at a certain time of day. While that might work for the host of that self-improvement podcast, there is zero evidence that shows that there's a universal best routine. So the second overarching principle on routines is that if it's really good to have a routine, it's not really good to get too attached to it. The issue when you become too attached to a routine is simple. There are times when life just devolves into chaos and you have to release from your routine. And if releasing from your routine causes you so much panic and distress that you can't function, you can't perform well, eventually the thing that was working really well from you becomes the thing that gets in your way. So I wanted to paint those two broad 30,000 foot overarching principles before we now actually go deep into knowing those two things. All right, well, what makes a routine work? What makes it not work? And how can you best find um, a solid routine for yourself? So Steve, let's start with the science on why routines are so helpful. Sure. So... There's a couple different things. Uh, First off, I'll dive into the science of affordances and then the the environment, which basically says we can tie things in our environment to different actions and behaviors. So if we see our running shoes as we're walking out the door, that triggers in your mind, hey, oh yeah, I need to run or I need to exercise. If we see our desk that we always write at, you know, and we sit down, that's going to pull us towards writing at it. There's just some fascinating neuroscience behind this by just looking at objects that are tied to your some sort of behavior. You get a little jolt in your brain and it says, oh, okay, let's have this urge to do this behavior. That's why there's all sorts of great examples of writers, for example, Stephen King, who writes in the same desk at the same you know place with the same environment around him all the time because it draws you to that. The other part of routines that, that matters, I think, is what I'd call um, habits or automaticity, which is when we repeat something over and over again, it goes from conscious deliberation to just kind of ingrained where we no longer have to think about it right? And when that happens, it goes from a decision that we have to make to something that almost just occurs and doesn't require any sort of mental energy or doesn't require much mental energy to get us there. It's 
it's the athlete who wakes up every day and has a habit of going out and going for a run or a walk. It's no longer a decision. Just like, you know, for you and I and everyday, everyday people, it's no longer a decision to brush your teeth in the morning. You just do it. Yeah. And this gets into some work on decision fatigue, which more or less says that the more decisions you have to make throughout the day, um, the more willpower you drain, the less cognitive resources you have to make future decisions. So to the extent that we can automate things, it not only makes that thing easier because you're just in the flow and you're doing it, but it also makes future things easier because you didn't have to burn cognitive resources and energy to activate um, and get going. So the second reason why routines are so helpful falls into what scientists call priming. And what this says is that particular areas and spaces not only are conducive to getting you to do the thing, but they help you get into do they help you get in the zone to do the thing faster. So nerding out for a second, but this nerding out really makes um, this topic clear. When you look inside the brain of a child or an infant, a newborn, and you show it a chair, not much is going on other than there's an object in front of me. When you look inside the brain of an adult and you show them a chair, the motor neurons, the part of the brain that's associated with sitting, start to fire because an adult over time has associated a chair with sitting. So even if that adult isn't planning on sitting, they see that chair and their brain is quote unquote primed, hence priming to sit in the chair. Well, the same thing is true with so many of the physical objects around us. If you write on the same computer every single day and you only use that computer for writing, when you sit down with that computer, your brain is going to be firing those neurons that are associated with writing. If you go to a specific gym and use a specific barbell and you do that repeatedly over time, your brain is going to know that, hey, once I'm next to this barbell, it's go time. It's time to really push. So the more that you can connect particular things in the environment to activities, the easier it is to get into a groove. So again, affordances, environmental design helps make doing the thing itself easier. And then by pairing particular environments, objects, even people with certain activities, it makes getting into the groove easier. Yep. And I'm glad you covered the the brain activity there. If we go in another direction on priming and look at hormones and emotions, you can prime yourselves to perform in a different state, right? Um, what we know from the scientific and psychology res research and literature is that we have different states in which prepare us to perform different actions. Athletes are incredibly familiar with this and getting in the zone to perform, right? Some of us need to get really hyped. Some of us need to get calmed down. We can kind of push our, and pull ourselves to different performance states to get there. In our book, Peak Performance, we go over and we talk to a performance scientist who at the time worked with U.S. field hockey, who was doing some um, incredible work utilizing testosterone or trying to prime testosterone um, to aid performance. Now, he wasn't giving testosterone, anything like that. But what he found is that by putting people in different psychological states, they'd get a nice little bump, momentary bump in testosterone, which then 
is tied to predicting persistence, predicting your ability to uh, bounce back from a loss, um, and all sorts of good desirable actions in the scientific research. So if you could prime testosterone, then it would be time to persist, tied to persistence, winning, et cetera, et cetera. Now, what in the world did he do to prime testosterone? Well, after testing all of these things on his, on his field hockey athletes, he found, quite simply, do something that feels good, that puts you in a positive space. So his forwards, for example, on the team, if they practice scoring in their warm-up, they'd get a bump in testosterone. The defenders, if they practice scoring, they wouldn't because they're not used to going to try and score goals. They're used to defending, right? Same if they're power athletes, if they did more kind of power sprint warm-ups, testosterone bump. If they tried to do some long endurance stuff as their warm-up, didn't get it. Why? Do things that you like. And this holds true outside of the athletic realm. You can look at music, listening to hype videos, pregame speeches, what you're watching, but doing things that you like and you enjoy puts you in a positive mindset and then has this positive hormonal effect that improves your performance. And since this book, since Peak Performance came out, I'd just like to note that Dave Hamilton, the guy we interviewed for this, was the Tampa Bay um, football team's they're called Director the Buccaneers, Steve. The Buccaneers. There you go. I was I had a blank on there. Tampa Bay Buccaneers performance scientist this year when Tom Brady and the team won the Super Bowl. So that's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. Going back to the overarching principles, though, you want to use all this stuff, but not become completely attached to it. And in this instance, what can happen is if you're really used to a particular priming mechanism, pre-work, pre-game, pre-performance routine and suddenly you can't do that thing, well, if you have a total freak out about not being able to do that thing, not only will you not perform better, but you'll probably perform worse. Hi, y'all. The Growth Equation is 100% member-supported and independent. We don't take sponsorships because we find so many of the products and services that sponsor podcasts like ours simply don't work. So instead, we have an exclusive membership program. For the cost of a cup of coffee, you get access to deep dives on everything we talk about in this very show. How-to guides, special podcasts, signed copies of our books, a live monthly discussion group, and a live mastermind group with other members. To learn more and sign up, visit www.patreon.com slash the growth equation. It's a win-win. You support the sustainability of the show and you get so much in return. All right. So we've covered um, priming, getting in the zone. I think another thing that's worth talking about is this notion of when designing a routine, trying to align your energy levels to the task at hand. And the best place to start here is the difference in morning people and night people. This is a real difference. The scientific community, it's known as one's chronobiology or chronotype. There are night owls and morning larks. And what this means is that certain people tend to be able to have the greatest amount of energy, both physically and the ability to do deep focus work in the morning, whereas other people have the most energy and ability to do deep focus work in the evening. Some people are morning, 
some people are night. You often hear stories of waking up at 4 a.m., do the most important thing in the day. Well, if you're a morning person or a quote unquote lark, that's great. But if you're an owl, that would be dumb advice. So the first thing is know yourself, know where you stand. You don't have to take any kind of fancy genetic test to know this. It's really simple. When are you the most energized? Are you the kind of person that in the morning feels like your brain is clear, you can do really good work, you want to train in the morning? Or are you the kind of person that takes three hours to get going and the thought of doing a workout or writing a memo in the morning paralyzes you? Now, once you've identified where you fall, you want to try to match the activities in your life to those energy periods. Now, a lot of times people say, well, this works great if you're a professional athlete or if you're an entrepreneur or a creative or someone with total control and autonomy over your schedule, but I don't have total control and autonomy. And we get that. In the traditional workplace, it's very rare to have complete control and autonomy over your schedule. But I push back and say most people have some ability to design their day to match their energy levels. Sometimes I'll work with coaching clients that don't have autonomy, and it's simple. We'll just look out two or three months when the calendar is clear, and we'll create fake meetings in the morning if that's when they do their best work, or if it's in the afternoon, we'll create fake meetings in the afternoon. And those fake meetings are time to do deep focus work. What's fascinating about this research is that it also shows that when you're off peak, you do the best creative work. So if you are a morning person that is hyper-focused in the morning, the best time to write a first draft or to have a brainstorming session, or I would argue to do things that involve engaging with other people, because often that's creative work, is in the afternoon. Now, why is this the case? Because when your brain's in that hyper-focus mode, you're wanting to dial everything in, you're wanting to make things perfect, um, you're wanting to edit as you go. Whereas when your brain is a little bit wound down, there, you're more open to testing things, to throwing out dumb ideas, to engaging interpersonally with other people because your brain is literally moving a little bit slower and you can be more creative in those spaces and you can be a more receptive listener. So for non-athletes, executive entrepreneurs I coach, we follow a very simple mantra. If you're a morning person, you want to do your solitary, deep focus, deep thinking work in the morning. You want to have your meetings, your brainstorming sessions, your first drafts in the afternoon. And if you're an evening person and you're really slow to get going, you want to use the morning to meet with other people, get energized, be creative in the afternoon and later hours to do that deep focus, solitary work. Again, neither is better or worse. It's very different. It's based on your chronotype and your chronobiology. These things, um, you have very little control over changing. They can change over time. Sometimes people that are young are morning people, then they become night people, then morning people again. But where you are in a period of your life is where you are. The last thing I'll say on this rant about chronobiology is going back to that cardinal rule, have a routine, but don't get too attached to it. If you get attached to being a morning person and you have an infant, your world is going to get blown up. Take it from me. So you got to be willing to release from the thing too, because the longer you fight it, the more you stay stuck. All right. So we've gone over how to prime yourself when you work best. One other aspect of routines or priming that I think is worth considering is the effect of those around you. Okay. So there's a lot of great research that shows that emotions and motivation can spread like a disease. They're contagious. Um, and there's this wonderful study that we overviewed in peak performance that looked at, I believe it was the U.S. Air Force Academy, and they looked at 
what uh, their performers were doing in the squadron, what led them to perform better, what led the whole squadron to get better or worse. And generally you would think, okay, it would be the best performers surrounding you that they would lift everybody up, right? Rising tide lifts all boats. So maybe your leaders in the squadron would improve everybody. But when they tracked all of these different physical uh, parameters that the Air Force Academy Uh, cadets had to go through like push-ups and running and all these different tests what they found is the person who impacted them the the most was the least fit person in that squadron why because if they were slacking off if they weren't doing things if they weren't you know um, performing the tasks that they need to the training that they need to it almost have this dragging down this settling effect where it was like, oh, they're not doing it, so we don't need to do it. So when you're looking at performing, priming yourself to perform, it's really important to, to set yourself up with having people around you who are supportive or pushing you and you know, um, allow you to get to that next level. Yeah, we often you know, think about environment being geography or physical things, but um, as Steve just elucidated, it's also people. So when you think about designing your environment to get the most out of yourself, think about the people around you. So to summarize, routines are great. They absolutely work. There is no best routine. The best way to find your routine for yourself is deduce. Are you a morning person or a night person? Start by aligning your energy levels based on that. Then you want to do everything that you can to set up affordances, things that influence you towards the desired action, towards the desired behavior by designing your environment. That means people, places, and things. And when necessary, you want to prime yourself into certain states of work. If you're a writer, that priming can be coffee, going to the same coffee shop you always write. If you're an athlete, it can be scoring goals or playing defense. If you're a traditional workplace um, professional before a big meeting, that can be doing a five-minute breathing exercise. The thing itself doesn't really matter. What matters is that you can reliably do it in connection with the next activity that you want to perform your best on. It's about a pairing. As an aside, this is why breathing exercises can work so well for this is because they're totally portable. There are very few situations in which you can't take a few deep breaths. Um, But that's not the only thing that works. If you're a writer like us, coffee works great too. And generally speaking, you can get coffee most places in the world. And then the final thing about routines is coming back to where we started this podcast, you want to acknowledge that they work and that they're a wonderful tool, but you don't want to become too attached to them. Because in some instances where they are simply not available, the freak out that you'll get from not having them can completely tank your performance. I've coached people who are super rigid on the, um, they're not open to experience, whatever the opposite of openness to experience is closed to experience end of the spectrum. They have tried and true routines, but we've worked really hard on not becoming attached to those routines. And sure enough, there have been times where chaos occurred, they had to get off the routine and they still performed really well because they were able to say, hey, this routine's worked really well. I like when I have it, but I know that I can completely leave it aside and still kick ass. So there's a paradox here. Have one, develop one, know it works for you. But if occasionally it gets swept away, don't worry, you'll be fine. 
If occasional becomes every single day, that just means you're getting lazy and it's useful to try to bring some rigidity back, get a routine, and prime yourself for performance. Thanks for listening to the Growth Equation podcast. Learn more about our work and find show notes at our website, www.thegrowtheq.com. Follow us on Twitter, at B. Stahlberg and at Steve Magnus. And if you like what you listen to, please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast, as this goes a long way in helping it reach others.